0: Hey guys, this is Brandon DeVere, and you're listening to the Learn for Two Podcast. So here's the thing. After being in the real estate industry for over a decade, I realized the old model was broken. There was no way out, no end in sight. So I decided to ditch the masses and create my own opportunity. One that would put myself and others in a position to retire when we want to. This podcast is my journey to teach as many people as possible to do the same. My name is Brandon DeVere, and welcome to the Learn for Two Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to Learn for Two Podcast. This is Brandon Devere. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and sharing your time with me. I do appreciate that. Today, special guest, we're going back to the interview series uh, that we had been kicking off uh, at the beginning of the year. And I'm happy to announce and and a pleasure to have on one of my long, long, long long-time friends, uh, Tanner Swanson. He is a catching director for the New York Yankees and um, someone that I've been looking up to for a number of years in in his quest to where he's been, where he's going, and where he is uh tanner
1: awesome to have you on how are you doing today i'm doing well man i, I appreciate it I've, I've been a i can't say i've listened to what do you over a thousand episodes now or,
0: or no, a couple hundred
1: <laughs> A couple hundred but um been, been following your quest as well and, and appreciate the content you put out and, and just the desire to, to learn and improve and grow and get better it's it's fun to watch on this end too so appreciate awesome. you having me
0: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so a couple couple reasons I want to have Tanner on today. Uh, God, we've known each other for God, how long? I mean, I, I remember going over to the Bite of Seattle and uh, serving an all- – we were serving alligator? Yeah, alligator on a
1: stick.
0: Alligator on a stick, that's right. Uh, but we did that. We must have been in, what, middle school? Yeah, probably. Yeah, something like that. I just remember uh, your dad finding out that I was sleepwalking at my house the, the like the week before, so he wouldn't let us sleep on uh, – he had that uh, – you know that condo that had the balcony that like looked over like towards the Space Needle, and he's like, "Yeah, you guys aren't sleeping outside. You're sleeping on the balcony because this guy's been been sleepwalking." So <laughs> that's uh, that was from way way back in the day. But you know we played baseball together. Uh, you know you've you've uh, grew we we grew up together, and you're here now at you know this is your first year as the uh, the catching director for the Yankees, and which, which is which is awesome. But can you give us kind of a like a, a brief history of how you got to to this point.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, t- to be honest, like, I I'm, I'm in a position that that obviously I was I was nowhere near qualified in in terms of you know by traditional standards at least. Um, you know, wasn't was an average I think high school baseball player. And went on and, and played at Central, um, and I, I've just kind of been in love with the game, you know mostly through my father and his influence and, um, you know, was, was really just wanting to do whatever I could to continue to play. Um, but I, I really didn't have aspirations of playing professionally. I was pretty re- you know, realistic about kind of what my ceiling was in, in that respect. Um, got into to teaching and I, I taught a couple years of high school and, and was, um, you know, coaching some youth travel ball teams in the Seattle area and, and just slowly started finding myself um, just gravitating more to, to, to that side of it. And, um, you know, I, I, felt like the, the coaching piece, um, I was able to blend kind of my passion for teaching. Um, but, you know, in a subject area that I felt like the the learner or the student was, at least in my experience was, was much more engaged, you know, and around that same time, I, I had an opportunity to coach, um, at Everett community college, which is, which was near the the high school I was teaching at and just, Getting to kind of cut my teeth at the junior college level was um, I think really helped kind of drive that passion just because the junior college players in general are are really hungry and like they're gritty and and they want to learn and get better and do whatever they can to advance to the next level. And and so um, I just fell in love with with, with the coaching side of it and um, eventually kind of dove into that full time. I. You know, the following year, I I went back to Central Washington and and, um, was an adjunct professor there and kind of helping, volunteering with the baseball team and um, and it was a pretty you know good position at 25 years old or whatever however old I was at the time Um, and and then a a a head junior college coaching job um, you know became available at Green River Community College and. And so I applied and, you know, it was a, like a $7,000 stipend and took a major pay cut and, and just was at a period of my life where, um, you know, I, I didn't own a home. I didn't, I wasn't married, you know, yet and, and just was able to take a risk and kind of go all in and, and see what I could do, um, you know, kind of follow that path and, and. Um, anyway, you know, from there, went on to the University of Washington shortly after that as a volunteer, um, again, similar, you know, similar decision to, to leave a head coaching job, to be a, volu- it was, it wasn't even a volunteer assistant at the time. It was a, a student manager. So I was the guy that was setting up the field and, and doing kind of the grunt work. Um, but just an opportunity to get in at that level and continue to learn and grow. And, and that ended up being a, a really, um, I think, Meaningful um, decision, you know, just to 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 witness Pac-12 baseball, Pac-10 baseball at the time with, with guys like John Savage and Pat Casey and George Horton and, and Andy Lopez and, and just coaches that I admired. Um, I, I felt like I got to to learn a lot just by observing them. Um,
0: and then after that,
1: um, you know, I, at that time I, I hadn't coached catchers at all. I got i thrown into that space while I was at the University of Washington, um, just based out of need. There was there was like, nobody on staff was coaching the catchers, and and you know, I slowly kind of got thrown into that space, and and was kind of learning under the current pitching coach, who was trying to wear both hats at the same time, and and eventually moved into a more prominent role there, and and really got to to kind of take over that that position group, you know, full-time and formally. Um, and long story short, just really started diving into kind of the details and, and um, of the position. And, and, you know, as the volunteer at the time, I wasn't allowed to go out and recruit. And so my sole focus, you know, was, was in the player development side of it. And whereas a lot of coaches at the division one level um, are really torn between kind of recruiting and, and developing your current players it's, it's almost easier to, to go recruit a, a, a good player than it is to you know develop one in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways so um, I just not being able to go out on the road and recruit by rule you know I, my one the only thing I really could focus on was was outside of it and um, so I spent five years at the University of Washington and and kind of started to develop a, a reputation we had luckily a string of Uh, three or four catchers who were drafted really highly and, um, you know, and, you know, around, I think it was maybe 2015, uh, 2016, I got a call from the Minnesota Twins, um, interviewed there to become their their minor league catching coordinator, um, spent two full seasons doing that. And just this last off season um, accepted a major league coaching job with the Yankees. So, um, it, it's been a, a I've had a chance to coach it at every level um which has been I feel like I've, I've learned something from each um but honestly never thought I'd be in this position I'd be lying to you if, if I said hey I'm gonna be a major league coach someday I and mean, that yeah. still is is uh I kind of smile when I say it because it's unexpected you know but um, anyway here we are
0: yeah no well, the, well that's awesome and and one of the things that you know, especially when you, you look at, you know, people look at like actors and, and baseball players and all these, all these things like, Oh yeah. Tanner works for, for the Yankees. Must be nice. Must be nice. And there's a, there's a lot of people that just go must be nice, but they don't know. Like here you're at the Yankees, but, but how long were you? Cause I remember when you were at, um, at UW, when you first went there, you were, if I remember correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but at, at one point, like you said, you took a pay cut, but I thought at one point, You weren't even like it was the vol the student like the volunteer aspect, but you could you could uh, like make a percentage of any camps that you ran, and that was basically your basically your income was side job from what you are doing. And there, you know, we're in a world where we always want to be compensated. Always, we can't. It's so hard for us to just do something and just be done and walk away and like, hey, you did something and didn't get compensated for it. Um, But there's so many people that would overlook that opportunity. And go, yeah. I'm not getting paid. I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> but you, you took that, and I can't imagine that it it hasn't helped springboard you into into your position that, you, that you're in now. And you did that. What year did you start that in at UW? I think it was
1: 2012, um, 2011, maybe. But yeah, you're exactly right. I, I mean, part of my you know my income was directly tied to my ability to bring in an income via you know our camp um, program. So I, I was. In addition to the duties I was performing uh, on the actual coaching side of it, which were minimal at first, you know, and and, and slowly, um, you know, I, I took on more responsibilities the longer I was there. But a bulk of my of my job was driving our camp revenue, and, and which meant, you know, additional hours at the field late, and you know, group lessons, and and working with really young kids, and and just it was just part of the deal. It was just what had to be done, you know, to, to, to sustain, you know, the role. So, um, yeah, I think baseball, it's, it's probably not unlike other industries. It's like almost survival of the fittest. It's just like, if you can hang on long enough, yeah. you know, and, and kind of survive or weather the storm of not making any money and, and having to make sacrifices, you know, being away from your family or so forth. Like, you know, I always kind of looked at it you know, it's, there's light at the end of the tunnel if you can get there, you know, and I know that's, that sounds cliche, but, um, you know, here we are. So I, it, my, my salary has changed exponentially and like pretty quickly, like taking yeah. <laughs> no money for a long time to, you know, being compensated pretty well now. So it's on average, it's still probably average, but.
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, and, and the other, aspect of doing that from when you, you you were talking about your your catchers that went on to be drafted like at, and you and you coach at each level and I'm sure there's a little bit of of you from each level that has that is into you now and things that you were excited for you know high school level you maybe get a kid to go to college or you know hit a milestone that he didn't think he was gonna gonna have happen but how how awesome even though you're at the, at the professional level now and you're seeing these guys that are just like the Top of the top, like the the best top physical condition, just amazing athletes and species, like specimens of, of the human race. Um, it's got to be so exciting when you when you get a guy drafted from from college. I mean, is how how do you feel when you get? Do you feel like they're kind of your own kids when they they get their name called?
1: No question. I, I mean, it's first off, you're you, you, you're happy for the player and, the, and their family, and, and you know. Sure, getting to, to kind of live through them vicariously a little bit. Again, knowing that, you know, I, didn't, I never had – my name was never called on draft day. I'm still waiting. I'm still <laughs> waiting to get – maybe next year is my year. But yeah, <laughs> I, I never got that call. So and, and to be able to help somebody else achieve, you know, their dream um, is cool. It's, it's, you know, it's special. And then also it kind of validates that, you know, maybe you're doing some things right you know, that you played some small role in, in, in that process um, is validating because there's a lot of things we do that, you know, that you don't get that validation from, you know. And so it's kind of the carrot, I think, that just kind of keeps you – that you get every once in a while that just kind of keeps keeps you motivated and, and hungry to, to, to try to do it again.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, would you do anything differently as as – from you know start to start I'm not I don't want to say finish but I mean like start to where you're at now
1: I don't I mean I don't feel like I have any regrets about like the process I think I think I I, I'd sum it up this way like I I think I'm in the role I'm in now because the goal was never to get to this point it was never the goal like and I think there's there's a lot of people um I don't want to sound like I want a soapbox now, but that, you know, the doors to professional baseball have now been blown open where people like myself um, maybe lack the experience as a player or the pedigree or, or, you know, can, can move into this world and, and have a you know predominant role. In it. Um, but there's a lot of people I feel like I see now either, you know, utilizing social media or, other kind of networks to try to infiltrate it but without really like doing the work that i think allowed me to move into this position but i I moved into this position because i was so focused on just being where my feet were and just like trying to refine my craft and grow and get better it wasn't because i had my eyes on you know becoming a major league coach like i was just trying to be the best student manager like in the country. And then I was trying to be the best volunteer coach, you know, in the country. And um, so whatever my job was, not not to say that I didn't have ambition and like wanted to grow into, into greater roles, um, but I felt like I was, I, I did a pretty good job of channeling my energy into like just myself, like trying to become as, as good as I possibly could um, in whatever I was doing. And then that gravitated towards the catching piece having not played the position um, you know I felt like I had a lot to learn and, and so I really just dove into um, how do you teach this how do you teach how could I teach this better trying to evaluate how it's been taught in the past and maybe identify you know some flaws and and, and you know what had been done traditionally and, and I, I meant we, we spoke about this prior to, to jumping on but the fact that, and not a lot of people know this about me, but like I'm now coaching major league catchers and I haven't played the position since I was maybe 12 years old. Like I was an infielder, you know, my whole life and even into college. And and so my first experience like with catchers came at the University of Washington at 27 years old, you know. And, and I didn't bring this laundry list of like um, experiences, you know, as a player or you know within the position so I got to look at it I think from a really fresh perspective and I didn't carry all these biases about this is how I used to do it and this is how my coaches used to teach me and and so I think I had a really clean slate and got to ask you know a lot of really good questions that maybe other people weren't asking and I think that just led me down a path to trial and error and you know experimentation and to try to find better ways that maybe make more sense you know and, and and also you know secondly like we just have so much more information today that's readily available to us that hasn't always been available and, mm-hmm. that, and now we can we can we can dive down some rabbit holes and, and use data to kind of validate or you know disprove you know the way things have been taught or trained um, you know in the past and and to try to help kind of evolve the position. So, you know, I, it, that really, you know, took off that kind of mindset pretty exponentially once I got into professional baseball, um, just because the, the access to that kind of information, um, you know, became so much easier to, get, to obtain. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I definitely want to get, want to touch back on that here in a, in a minute. Um, But I want to kind of jump back to something that you said, like being, focusing on being where your, where your feet are and, um, and just basically getting better incrementally. And like that, I think has so many more, cause I get caught up in it too. Like I'm, you know, I try to do something. I'm like, Oh, like if I try to compare myself to Joe Rogan podcast wise, like he gets how many million, like he's like a million downloads or more per episode. Right. Like I'm only, you know, 999,000 plus behind him right for every episode but to do that would also cause me to shut down right and and compare so when you're as you're focusing and like what you're saying that you're you know by the time you looked up here head down working where I'm at working where I'm at now I'm here you don't have there now I'm you know with the New York Yankees and like you know living your dream uh, I think that's important for for people to understand that you know part of part of just doing that and it's and it's not like not trying to say like know your place like know your role (laughs) you know like you were you were gonna be the best whatever you were doing that's that's it uh and it got you to be the next level and then you started all right now I'm here now I gotta get to the best and I get to the next thing now I gotta be the best um but do you feel you were able to kind of not kind of kind of keep working head down and not judge yourself based on what other people were doing, and, and get caught up in like, okay, well, that that guy, you know, he has this experience, and I'm probably not going to get that. Do you, do you feel that you were able to kind of let that noise stay out of out of your progress uh, because you were focused on just being the best, whatever you were at that time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I I would, I just had to. Like, if you know, I've, there's certain things that and experiences that I can't pick up a book and just like gain experience as a major league player like there's <laughs> yeah. like I, there was boxes that i just wasn't going to be able to check no matter what i did you know yeah. so I, I had to um got, kind of just take the the parameters of the framework that i could control and just try to really master those you know and not get caught up in everything that i wasn't and i don't know i think i think i have a strength of mine and, and at times it's a, it's a flaw, I think, where I'm just, I think I can be really hyper-focused on whatever it is that I'm doing. And because I'm not that, like, like my room is not that organized. And, like, <laughs> I often don't finish books. Like, I, I read a lot of books, but I often don't finish them. And, like, yeah. I'm not, like, really disciplined in other areas. But, like, certain parts of my life, I'm, like, I can be really hyper-focused. And, and. I don't know what that means but i've been able to channel it i think to um in, you know it's it's i think i've used it to my advantage um in this case at least and, and you know where that comes from maybe insecurity like fear of not being good enough like there's there's probably lots of, of um, lots of different ways to look at you know where that originated from but um mm-hmm. uh, Either way, it's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's
0: helped me in some ways thus far. Yeah. Well, I I think that is a, that's also like a really good thing to know uh, where we get into these, these spaces where we're, as a society, we're obsessed with like before and after photo, right? Like, and that's, that's kind of why I do these podcasts is I want to talk to people and get to, you know, get to learn who they are and that kind of thing. Because you could look at, somebody could look at Tanner Swanson and go, um, like, look up your Wikipedia page. Like you've arrived. I saw you had a Wikipedia page yesterday. I looked it up (laughs) so, but somebody could look at you and go, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's got it all. He's, you know, I could never do what he does because of whatever, because I don't, I have a messy room. Right. But, but we only see those like snapshots and, you know, like you're saying, Hey, for whatever reason, I can get real dialed in on this piece, but I, over here, I kind of don't really have it together. And I think that when, when we let people know that, that yes, here here I am. I made it to this this milestone, this spot that I that I didn't really know that I would get to, and I didn't really think that it was possible, uh, or you know whatever that wasn't a, wasn't what you were aiming for, but you got there. Um, but at the same time, letting letting people know that you, you're not perfect at everything, and and you know they can they can do things and and whatever it is. I'm not saying that everybody wants to be a uh, coach in the in the big leagues, but that it doesn't take. discipline on every aspect of your life to get, get where you're going. Right. So I think that's,
1: I've I've, not, you know, I've never, or I shouldn't say never, but I've tried to, to avoid, you know, I think I've done this most of my life, like avoid putting limitations on myself in terms of, and I, I don't, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant or overly confident, but it's just like, well, why can't I do that? Like, Mm-hmm. so like why is this person so much better than me like is he smarter than me is he more talented is he like, like i feel like i i have a capacity to to learn like i'm not saying i'm like overly smart but if, if i want to figure something out i feel like i i know how to learn yeah. i gotta go figure something out and so you know i guess i and, and growing up in the community that we grew up in and not everybody's like this, this is maybe an overgeneralization but i feel like there are a lot of people in smaller communities who sometimes just put barriers on like yeah. you know, I grew up here and this is what my you know <clears throat> what my family knows and like I'm just meant to build houses or like and no, there's nothing wrong with building house like whatever yeah. but like some people just default into um, what's maybe comfortable or familiar and, and don't always set you know their sights to maybe pursuing things that they're passionate about because they think that they're not capable or you know, nobody in my family has done that before or people like me, you know, this is what we do, you know, and, yeah. and I feel like there's, I don't know. I've just, I've, I think had a different mindset in that regard you know? and, and, you know, maybe it's naive, but I've just felt like whatever it is that I wanted to, you know, achieve, like, I feel like I could, I
0: can figure it out. Yeah. Well in, in that in that same that same kind of uh area. Um like a couple a couple years ago I wrote I wrote a story you commented on it. I wrote it on Facebook, but it was it was about the first time I realized that I gave up on myself. And it was after I read uh, Dustin Pedroyo's Born to Play. So I grew up, I didn't get any letters. We, oh I got a letter from you, dub, but I think you know, your dad had us over for a workout and I think that they uh they uh kind of help me out a little bit. (laughs) Sending me a letter. You still there? Service. It's frozen a little bit, but there you go. Are you back? Yeah. Okay. All right. But yeah, so I, a couple, a couple of years ago, I, you know, wrote a story about, uh, you know, reading Dustin Pedroia's book. And when I, when I gave up on myself where, you know, we were in a, Small town, 30 minutes away. I went to the, you know, Central's baseball camp for a number of years. All this stuff. Never got a, any, anything from them. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And I kind of shut down. You know, big fish, small pond, and shut down. And I kind of didn't think about it until I read that book like 10 years later. And I was like, oh, man, I, I gave up on myself. But even at that time with those, with those like, blinders or those limit, limitations from, you know, being in that small town, I didn't even think about, well, what if you could go coach? Like that, that never crossed my mind. I'm the same way as you though, as far as like, like right now, how can I figure something out? Like, can I, can I, figure, like, I think I can figure anything out. Um, whether or not I do it well, that's a whole nother story. But, uh, but you're right. Having that kind of mentality to, to go figure things out. And it's, and like you said, it's not bad if you're, if you're not that type of person, but you know, as, as we are, and then as you have done, you figured out how to be a catcher a catching coach uh, with, with no catching experience uh from well little from back in uh babe ruth did you play in babe ruth <laughs> or was it did you stop when you got little league
1: yeah, I, a little bit of babe ruth but i don't know if i, I, I much in my role so <laughs> but uh, so yeah, we'll,
0: it's i think what's that go ahead oh no i was gonna say we kind of go from that, that idea. And we, we spoke briefly about, um, you know, the purpose driven church is a book by pastor Rick Warren. And there's a spot in there where he talks about how he was able to grow his church so fast, uh, because he wasn't dealing with, you know, decades of tradition. And as you're, as you kind of alluded to earlier, we're talking about, you know, tradition and the, like, where he had a clean slate, they could kind of do whatever. Um, you, you kind of had that same thing coming from a, a catching a non-catching background to go and really look at something from a different perspective where somebody might already have, you know, a a blinder on because they either don't know the answer and they think they should. So they don't want to look stupid. Or like you said, it's always been done this way. This is the way we're going to do it. And now you can come along and kind of say, Hey, well, what about this? Like, does this, when you approach something like that, and then also if you can give us like kind of uh, an example of what is something like new school, uh that that you are kind of bringing to the game uh and as well like when you bring it to somebody do you say hey what do you think about this do you go like we need to do this or like how do you approach somebody uh when you are when you want to you know do something that might be you know obviously non-traditional and something that you know might leave people scratching their head before they even try it
1: yeah when I you know I'll, I'll just start with my my first experience in professional baseball. So when I got hired by the twins and in reflection, I feel like it was the best thing that could have happened. Like being a part of that organization at that time, you know, they were going through a new leadership group. They kind of revamped their whole player development system. They were bringing in a lot of college coaches, which was um, kind of a newer trend that many other organizations later um, also adopted. You know, there's, there's been a large influx of college coaches where at, at one point, in time like if you didn't play professional baseball you didn't coach professional baseball it was like a pretty close kind of good old boy club in a lot of ways and and that has changed in just like the last you know two three four years where it's like we don't care where you coach like we just want to go find the best coaches you know and and so there's been a shift a paradigm shift in in that way throughout the industry Um, but anyway when I got to Minnesota like they were huge on Experimentation, and they really um, kind of demanded that it was this kind of shoot, ready, aim mentality, where it was like, yeah. just go, and like, if you wait to know that you're right, you'll never try anything innovative. Like, you'll just, we'll just get the same production that we've always gotten. And, and being kind of a smaller market organization, um, they had to try to find value in the margins and try to create competitive advantages that. Um, you know, to compete with teams now like the Yankees or, you know, bigger market teams that have more resources. And, and so they, I've always been, a, I think, a curious person, but being in that organization, they kind of pushed me into the pool and said, like, just go, like, identify a problem and go solve it. And I think I became like a master problem solver and just, I, I looked at the position as objectively as I could um, and just identified you know what were the holes like if and specifically if we want to get into it you know it was around the same time that pitch framing was really starting to be quantified like you know for for a while even prior to that it was like okay, this is really important pitch framing is like the most important skill a catcher can possess but at that point in time just you know three years ago nobody was really in my opinion not a lot of people were really um, really knew how to train it. It was just like, let's just go acquire the best. Jonathan Lucroy, the best pitch framer. Like, we'll just go get that guy, you know, or Mm -hmm. we'll try to draft this skill, but nobody really um, had refined a system to really try to optimize it or or to develop it internally. And, uh, and so, you know, if if pitch framing is is really important and it's so valuable to run prevention, um, you know, the problem that I identified was, you know, just the disparate, like, the the variance that catchers experience in their framing performance um among different base states so like specifically with nobody on base right like catchers get in really low positions and um and you know perform closer to whatever their true talent level is in terms of their ability to receive or catch a baseball Um, but then, so whatever that baseline number is, the problem that I identified was then like, okay, now add a base runner, you know, add a runner on first or a runner on second or first and third, and like, what do those performance measures look like? And across the entire industry, pitch framing like regresses. You know, can you like just, just, for,
0: just for one quick second, can you explain pitch framing for someone who who may not know what that is?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of a coined term for receiving or catching a baseball. So the catcher, um, you know, how they present a a particular pitch to the umpire um, with the goal of kind of influencing, you know, it's, there's, there's human behavior involved here with like, it's until we go to an automated strike zone, like it's sales in a lot of ways. It's like, you're selling real estate. I'm selling strikes. Like how do I get to call more strikes? when I catch versus you. And and so that's something that can be, it can be measured. You know, it's umpires have, there's enough data to and to look historically like umpires have different strike zones and which catchers gain or lose strikes, you know, based on that particular umpire. And, and there's a lot of other variables too that go into framing models, but um, the industry found that there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, value in having a a catcher who can turn balls into strikes and just the impact that has on, you know, taking a one, one count and making it one, two versus two, one, and just the the swing in any offensive metric, whether it's batting average or OPS or slugging, like, you know, the difference between a two, one count and and one, two count, like it it really changes everything, you know, um, in terms of what the expected output would be for that hitter based on the count. So Um, long story short, there's like, there's a lot of, it's, it's the most impactful skill um, a catcher can possess way more than, than their ability to block or throw or do anything else. Like if they can create additional strikes um, it's being proven to save teams a lot of runs because it it just prevents the amount of damage um, or offensive potential, uh, you know, that a hitter can do, you know, if, if you have the alternative, compared to the alternative, right? So, yeah. so anyway, um, long-winded answer, like, you know, as soon as you add base runners, like, uh, uh, an expected, you know, or our catchers pitch framing performance, like really falls off the table. And, and that was like the biggest aha moment for me, it was trying to figure out why, why is that? Like, you know, if they're, if they're X, and then you add base runners, and now their performance is Y, you know, what's the change? And you know, when I really started digging into that, it was there was you know, catchers set up in different positions with runners on base versus no runners on base, and like there's that's a traditional teach that's just been universal forever. It's like when a catcher when there's a base runner on first, like catchers get up in this really aggressive kind of goalie, high butt, flat back, like more athletic, you know, position but consequently they're not in a very good position to receive their, their glove is higher off the ground. Their whole body is elevated. And the key to the strike zone is, you know, the bottom portion of it. You know, mm. that, That's where the best pitch framers excel um, for, for different reasons, but you know, that's the key to the strike zone. That's where you can expand and, and, and create additional strikes more so than anywhere else. So anyway, um, we're probably getting in the weeds here. That's, We've lost maybe some viewers here, but no, no,
0: no, this this is exactly what I'm looking for though, because it's this is the type of thing when you're talking about traditional like they're they're up because they're like you're saying that they're up in an athletic position because now they have a runner to hold at first, mm-hmm. right? And and if they choose to try and steal, they need to be ready to try and try and throw down on them, right? So, right. <clears throat> so like this this is kind of stuff that like, gets me excited because it's it's non-traditional, wherein the in the in the way, because I, th- I think I kind of might know where you're going a little bit. Um, that maybe that runner isn't as uh, I don't want to say valuable because it would be val- more valuable to the to the offense, but isn't um, isn't worth as much of a distraction as he's causing. Um, not only because already the pitcher is now changing position, he's going from the windup to the stretch. So now you're changing both the pitcher and the catcher and how they're set up <clears throat> in order to receive and, and the pitch a strike
1: you're exactly right it's like the catcher's ready to do everything you know yep. so we, you know but in reality like trying to be a good receiver blocker and thrower at the same time like you end up being really average at all of them like yeah. you don't your attention is so divided um you know and and really when i started breaking down the numbers it's like less than 10 percent of you know, of, of thrown pitches from in those base states. So if runners on base, less than 10% of those end up either a ball in the dirt or a steal attempt. So nine out of 10 times, like, even though I'm up in this position, ready to throw, ready to block, nine out of 10 times I catch the ball. Like the ball is not in the dirt or the yeah. runner doesn't advance, you know, be <laughs> a steal yet I'm compromising the thing that matters the most by being in this position. And now I can't, I don't receive pitches very well. So like the problem just seemed, it seemed backwards to me, you know, it's like, why am I in this position where those outcomes are such, they're so low in frequency, like they rarely happen. And who's to say I can't also block and throw from maybe some other alternative position that is more conducive <laughs> to receiving. And, and so the traditional teach forever was get up in this, this secondary stance where you're up tall, athletic, and try to be a good receiver from your best block and throwing position. And that's where I think the problem, the industry had it backwards, you know, for a long time. It's like that's a noble pursuit, but the reality is, is that no catchers, catchers aren't, they're not are worse from that position. Mm. You know, so why can't we learn to be good blockers and throwers from whatever our best receiving position is? And just stay in that. If receiving or pitch framing is so valuable, let's figure out what the best position to do that is. And it also happens at the highest rate. Like let's stay in that position and try to figure out how to do these other secondary skills out of that. And so that evolved into, you know, different variations of knee down. Like, you know, when I was in Minnesota, it it started with, okay, well let's, let's identify what, what is the best pitch framing position. Like, And so we experimented with more traditional stances and that evolved to more knee down stances, you know, where one knee is on the ground. In some cases, both knees are on the ground just to get into a a lower position. used to see Tony Pena and other catchers do this back in the seventies. So I, like, I I can't say that I've reinvented it. Uh, I think I've just taken that concept to another level. I think back in, in those days before you could quantify it, I think catchers just intuitively knew that, when I'm down in these really low positions, I can catch the ball really well. Um, But but that was never accepted. You know, once runners were on base, Tony Pena wasn't in that sit on your butt, kickstand position. Like he was up in a, you know, so all really I did was, hey, let's just do this throughout. Like with runners on base, nobody on base, like let's find our best, our most optimal receiving position. And we're going to stay in that exclusively and learn how to do everything out of one position. And so, you know, we we did that in Minnesota for two years just through experimentation and developing kind of this knee down system where, um, and, and we do it with runners on base, nobody on base. And we had a lot of success. Our framing metrics went through the roof and we actually, as a result, like, and this is counterintuitive. It's like, not only did we become better pitch framers, but we learned that we actually, it's a better blocking position as well. Like, which was I think I stumbled onto that. I got lucky in that regard. Like in my mind was like, Hey, this is going to help our receiving and we might sacrifice a little bit of blocking and throwing, but you know, the net gain is going to be greater because we're going to steal a bunch of additional strikes and we may miss a couple more blocks or we may give up a few more extra stolen bases. But that's actually not what happened at all. Like, we got better in all three phases. Like, we became better blockers because we already were starting in a blocking position. We don't have to mm-hmm. transition now down to the ground.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, and so it was – that really started to kind of open people's eyes in terms of, like, man, these guys are doing something different. Um, and then it really took off when we, we rolled it to the, into the major league level and Mitch Garber, who is the major league catcher for Minnesota and was historically a really bad pitch framer he was getting beat up in the media. Um, and, you know, he had been watching from afar. You know, he knew what we were doing in our minor league system. Uh, but at that time, nobody was doing that in the big leagues, you know. Um, but he called me, you know, offseason before this last one and said, hey, I, I need your help. Like, I'm really – if I don't figure this out, I don't improve my pitch framing, because it was, you know, at that time, like it was really valued. It was really valued at the major league level, um, and so if you didn't do that well, you didn't catch. Like, you just don't catch anymore. Like, mm-hmm. if you're bad at the skill, you're you're playing first base, you're DH, and you're you're, you're not catching unless you possess the skill. And 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 so he needed help, and he I flew out to Albuquerque and I I dropped the PowerPoint on him and like here it is, like, here's the whole system, and he loved it, and he adopted it immediately, we trained for a few days, he he figured out how he could adapt it um, to kind of his style and body type, And and we worked through a lot of things, and he showed up to spring training, and just dove in the pool and just said, this is what I'm doing, and he believed in it, and he became an advocate for it. And that kind of shook the industry too, because now somebody, and he saw a huge growth and it became, um, you know, people were writing about it. It was getting a lot of attention. He went from like one of the worst pitch framers in baseball to now one of the better ones, like really quickly. And you just, you don't see games like that very often. So people were digging around trying to figure out okay, what happened here. Like this is unorthodox. It's, it's different, man. The, it actually might make a lot of sense like and that was just last year and now fast forward one year later you know half the catchers in the big leagues now or have now already adopted this style. like it's it's really like shook the, the entire industry and it's, it's it's changed how people are approaching the position and it's it and this is something little-
0: you you identified like you you said yeah. there's something there's something not not right here
1: yeah yeah. And again, I mean, ultimately it's why I got the hired, you know, it's why the Yankees sought, sought, you know, sought me and, and eventually offered me a job. And But it's because of the, the work that we did in Minnesota to kind of develop this system. Um, and now it's become pretty mainstream throughout, you know, throughout the big leagues.
0: So there's, there's two things that there's way more than two things. I mean, this is kind of, got my got my head going crazy right now thinking of thinking of this and like how it relates to like like you said earlier talk uh talking about how this relates to other industries than just just baseball. And I just thought about like something you said earlier as well but you are looking at what is the most important thing. And as you're talking about the the catcher framing that pitch, getting selling a strike is more important than holding that runner on first. But like when that runner gets on first, you, like you said, you got out of position to not do the thing that's most important. And I think that's awesome. I identified that, like that's more important. Okay. I mean, it's just like in a business, you say, Hey, I'm going to, instead of focusing on everything, you're not, you're not going to be very successful if you, ha- if you have to do that, if you're running in every different direction. But if you, I mean, just like in, in real estate, they told, they call the riches are in the niches. They talk about like if your niche is selling strikes, then you don't have to be perfect at that and that's that's what reminded me of earlier you said uh i couldn't i couldn't get caught up with what i wasn't and that's like a like the perfect story for like the perfect quote for for that like what i wasn't i will, i i'm i don't need to be the best blocker or the best thrower or the be, you know the best whatever but if i'm the be, if i can focus on this i'm a i'm a framer i focus on that then everything will fall in a place at a at a better rate and i think it's as you look at this thing from the whole like with a 30,000 foot view or whatever, where you look at like stealing that strike, you can uh, over the course of a game can change that runner on first is going to do something different on a one two count. than They'll do it on a two one count. And if you can steal that strike, you're changing, you're you're changing what that runner at first means overall yep. by, the, by what you're able to do, just focusing on that focusing on that yeah I'm like this is it's
1: it's just it it's, <clears throat> it's as simple as like what is most positively correlated to run prevention like like because that's at the end of the day like a catcher's job yeah. is to prevent runs right In any defensive player it's like
0: yeah.
1: whether you're a pitcher a shortstop a catcher like it's about run prevention and mm-hmm. on the offensive side it's about run creation like that's the game like when you really break it down and so like what get what helps run prevention the most like from a catcher standpoint and it's like not even close it's like exponentially like times 10 like creating strikes like and and so like that and that's that was no secret you know that was like that was pretty universally accepted but nobody was at that time not a lot of people were figuring out okay how do we optimize that instead of just try to draft it or acquire it somehow, it's like, can we optimize that? And so it's not, you know, I've, I've, I try to avoid saying that, you know, I don't care about blocking, you don't care about throwing. It's just that I really care about pitch framing. Yeah. right? And like, let's keep <clears throat> the main thing, the main thing, and just try to master that. Um, and what we've learned is like out of these, this, this system now, these knee down positions, like it actually might be a better blocking yeah, catchers performing worse at blocking from these positions. Like in a lot of cases, they're actually performing better. You know, so um, yeah, it's some of it. I honestly just kind of lucked into, to be honest. But but what I didn't luck into is like being vulnerable enough to take a risk and being the new yeah. guy, the outsider in a <laughs> in a new culture. You know, in professional baseball, the guy that didn't play and didn't have the experiences. Like I could have easily just rode the mainstream and just played it safe but I knew that that like I don't know I did I just I refused to do that I said if I you know, I, if I believed in this I didn't care how unorthodox or like how much I'd be criticized I mean I, I still take arrows like oh, I'm sure throughout the industry of like the, <clears throat> the traditionalists the guys who've caught in the big leagues forever and that they think today's catching is trash and that You know, because it's it's easy to cherry pick the one the miss block out of a one knee setup and go see like yeah yeah. setup doesn't work. And they forget that catchers are missing block they miss pitches in every stance and they've been missing pitches for years in traditional stances. It's like it's the same way people view the shift, I think, in a lot of ways. It's like you know, the shift clearly works, otherwise teams (laughs) wouldn't use it. Like but second, you know, the the left-handed hitter shoots one through the the left side of the infield, everybody goes like, it's, it's confirmation bias is what it is. And yeah. it's like, like, see, the shift doesn't work, you know, and it's, it's short-sighted, I think. And, um, but you know, it, I'm still fighting those battles, but my point is like, I was willing to take a risk and just say, you know what, I, I have nothing to lose because I don't really belong here anyway. you know, <laughs> like, By, you know, <laughs> Like I'm the outsider, and so, uh, and I think if, if I'm giving advice to any like younger coaches or not even coaches, but people getting into a profession or, or feel like maybe they're in a rut or not progressing, like I think taking calculated risks and like not being scared of like whatever the outcome may be, um, you know, I think that's it's it's benefited me a lot and just having that mentality that, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to live with the criticism that this doesn't work and I might be out of baseball in a year, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it. This is what I believe in. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way. And if it works, it works. And <laughs> if it doesn't, you know, I'm okay with that. So.
0: Yeah. And that, I think we end up getting in our own way a lot. I do it. I do it myself. Like I'll, I'll get in my way be like, Oh, you know, what if this doesn't work? Do I look stupid? And we talked earlier about uh, think like a freak the book where they're talking about statistically speaking, it makes more sense to shoot a PK right at the goalie because he's going to dive one way or the other. But people even at the elite level would, you know, and even fans, fans would rather you miss right or left than get it blocked right at the middle. You'd be like, Oh, that guy's an idiot. What's he doing? You know, even though like you take all the statistics and people would rather have like, uh, you know, something that they would prefer to believe was the right, the right thing than what was actually the right thing and even talking of, i'll go kind of on a tangent here for a second because i um <clears throat> so nick our friend nick uh had heath evans on a call once and i was doing a zoom call with heath evans and he was uh like uh, fullback for the patriots and for the seahawks he was on a couple other uh a couple other things but he was talking about when the seahawks lost the super bowl to the patriots which still burns and everyone's like just run the ball just run the ball. Well Heath Evans said that that play and I've heard a number of other people talk about it too that that play was statistically like the right play to run but you look at it, you got Marsh on there and everything that you look at based on the defense that was still in that was the play that that should have been run it just wasn't executed and if it was executed right. then it never would have and he he went on a couple of the other different things that like kind of how you're talking about these different different numbers like a receiver came up the reason uh, was it Butler was it, was it Malcolm Butler? Is that who picked it off? He was uh, he lined up on a receiver that normally lined straight up like this, and he recognized that he was turned slightly, so he knew he wasn't going running his route, so he could jump the other one. So just you know, crazy stuff like that. Um, but I can't remember how I got how I got to that to that part. But oh, now yeah, uh, sorry. But basically, doing something that you're not, you know, you get up if you're not going to be afraid to do it and just own it. Um, you know, go out and do, do something different. And if it, and that's awesome that you're, that's, that's an advice that you're giving to somebody, uh, to anybody in, in any profession, because it is, <clears throat> it, it, it's true. And like you said, how would that have been found out? Like what you found out, what you identified from, again, going back to you being the guy that figures things out. I think I can figure this out. How would I become a better catcher? And then you, you find this correlation of these guys getting into all these different stances. I never in a million years would have even thought of anything like that. So I think, I think that's awesome, and I could talk for hours with you about, about this for
1: sure. I had a lot of, you know, even, even at the time, like, some of our managers who were ex-major league catchers who were now managing, you know, our AA or AAA team, this is in Minnesota. Like, when I first presented this, I'm like, this is what I want. This is what we're going to do. And I can't tell you how many people, like, said to me, goes, well, you can't do that. Like, how are you going to block or how, how, are, you, how are they going to block or throw? And I go, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. Like basically, or basically I said, you know, well, has anybody ever tried? Like, how do we know? Like, that's, yeah. that's just an assumption. Like they're not going to go to block or throw. I'm like, well, has anybody ever tried to figure this out? Like, how can you say that? Like nobody's ever attempted, like nobody's tried this. So how do we know that it won't work? <laughs> you know? And, and so we tried it and minor league baseball is great for that reason. Cause it's, you know, players want to win, but winning is not, you know, necessarily the priority. It's it's development. And, yeah. And so it was a kind of a perfect storm of the right environment, the right time in the industry, um, with, for just new thinkers and new ideas to kind of infiltrate it, um, and then players who were open minded and like willing to, you know, try something that was different and and provide feedback and. and really be a part of that experimental process, you know, be a trial and error. And like, we, we worked through this. Like it, it wasn't something that I like dropped in a PowerPoint and had completely polished. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, this is a problem. I don't know how we're going to solve it necessarily, but we're just, we're going to start, you know, and I've, I've heard you talk about that before, like, you know, when you were writing, writing the book, it's like just starting, you know, and Yeah. That people back, like, House. They they were they, they wait to or they're worried about creating a finished product before they you know and it, it holds often holds people back from from beginning,
0: you know. Oh yeah. Done is better than perfect, man. That's that that's been like my mantra for the last year. Um I've had so many ideas that are just they're still on the shelf because I thought it had to be completely perfect. And now I now I put out stuff like you said, half read half read books. I got them all a ton of half read books. Um, but I so many, so many things that I I was not putting out because it wasn't perfect and then now you know people probably be like what is what is that (laughs) what did you just put out it ain't perfect but it's done or it's at least started so I mean yeah I I definitely feel you on that one for sure uh so I know it's it's only been a short time in in the big league so far hopefully it, it is for a long time and uh I'll secretly root for the Yankees uh so, so I because I'm rooting for you, of course, um, but what's your favorite big league moment so far? Uh, I know it's it's kind of weird without fans and stuff like that, but uh you know what is what's been the biggest like the the, the most exciting part for you um, That's a
1: good question
0: <laughs> um. or is it is it is are you still like trying to like catch up with the fact of where you're at right now well,
1: no, I mean i it, I definitely still feel the, the pressure, which is part of the reason like, I took this job. Like and then I, I try to put myself in environments where I'm not super comfortable, right? Where it's like one of the attractive pieces of the Yankees is like there's an expectation to win like, yeah. and to win every night. Like, And I, I like that pressure. I feel like it makes me better, you know, because you, you, there's an, it, at least personally – helps me kind of maintain an edge that like i have to i have to show up every day and like refine my process and Mm -hmm. and, like help gary sanchez get better and prove to people that what we're doing is the right thing and like you know so it's it's i haven't had a lot of time to like really digest and and just given the environment too it's different right with no fans and it's it's unique in that respect um but I, i still like the same thing that I spoke about earlier that I feel like has helped me get to this point. Like, I still feel like my head is down and just like, I have not arrived by any means. Mm. Like, I don't feel that way. And like, I'm still trying to prove it. And I hope I don't lose that. I hope that's, I hope I keep that forever. Like once that is gone, it might be time to do something else. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have a, a specific moment necessarily. I'm just like really engulfed in the challenge right now of, Helping you know a new catcher um, kind of like evolve and a, adopt this this new style and, and like he's trying to do this in the middle of a major league season which is unique in itself like you know in, in this environment and I've learned this pretty quickly like you don't practice there's no practice time. Like you play games every night you know yeah. <laughs> like there's there's workload capacity that you're flirting with always too where it's like you can't just go – can't go work every day in the cage like and then go perform in the game and then do it the next day and and, he's also has to to lift in the weight room he have like the starting catcher at major league level has has, like time management is tricky you know and workload management is tricky And, and these guys just play so much that he's learning like in a major league game for the new york yankees nonetheless you know so that's not a very vulnerable environment in itself and presents challenges, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, we're kind of in the middle of it now. And and he's really invested in in what we're doing and and the early return has been positive and, you know, but it's still there's daily challenges to try to figure out how we can get just a little bit better each day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is probably a little bit, even harder without – I mean, there's not – with the 60-game season, there's not really many throwaway games that that you can go and say, hey, I'm going to try this. And I'm I'm sure it's probably pretty easy for him to fall back into what he was – what he's used to doing and comfortable with doing. So, in the middle of the game, you know, I'm sure you're probably reminding him, hey, hey, no. Because, like, switching back to that – I mean, you talk about a guy, like, changing his jump shot or something. Like, you can go work on that. I mean, it's, you know, not – well, they they do shoot arounds right um, before the game i mean you guys bp and stuff like that but he's not i'm sure he's not spending 2 hours working on working on that like you said he's in in the game learning how to do it
1: right yeah so, and a lot of the a lot of the teaching right now is is just you know it's conversational it's video reviews it's like, you know it's not necessarily getting in there and, and and getting physical reps but more identifying you know maybe those those moments where you know things break down and he reverts back to old habits or things Mm this is how he used to do it and i'm not as comfortable in these situations okay well why and and like just reinforcing you know what we've worked on previously and, and how we can continue to create you know build trust and equity and and you know, in hopes that tomorrow, you know, that, you know, it becomes more routine for him. So it's, he's been great. I mean, from from a player standpoint, I mean, I have a lot of respect for his willingness and and trust so far and and to, to again, try something that's different, um, you know, in maybe the most critical, you know, and, you know, market in the world. Yeah. The media market here is like they're pretty ruthless you know and yeah. they're overly critical on gary sanchez you know and, and expect him to be perfect and so it's uh there's a lot of challenges but it's it's been it's been pretty fulfilling too
0: well i'll tell you what if you can get it to work there i'm pretty sure you can get it to work anywhere so that, yeah. that's that's pretty awesome um just one last thing before we finish up is there anything else i mean you've already dropped a couple a couple great nuggets for any listeners you know trying to trying to you know follow their dream get a little bit better at what they're doing um, whether or not it's it's coaching baseball or if it's you know them in their whatever industry they're in but do you have any other anything else any any book recommendation or anything that you think anybody should uh should
1: pick up um what am i reading right now i'm reading a book on what's it called the power of uh neutral thinking i think i I might have butchered the title but it's (laughs) it's uh Russell Wilson is, 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 it's his mental skills coach. And
0: oh, that's been, I, he, that guy's got a podcast, right? He might. Yeah. I think I heard Yeah. I think I heard him talking to, with somebody like Steve Kerr or something.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. So that, that's been just the power of like staying neutral, you know, and not getting overly excited and, and overly critical and, and just trying to maintain a mindset that um, sometimes like the power of positive thinking can be, it's, like fake self-talk that we just like create you know yeah. it's not not really based in reality but like acknowledging negative experiences that happen and like acknowledge that they're real and they happen and, and like how can we respond and react to them um, so that, that's kind of what I'm diving into right now but like on, on a different note like the only thing I would probably add that I think is has really had a huge influence on me and I think this goes back to just kind of my roots and passion as a as a teacher But like I, I feel like my career took a turn when I like actually jumped in the arena and like started sharing information you know and it started originally with uh, you know social media but that was really early and, and that's in and that you know social media now is, is, a, is a place where coaches are really active and and there's an abundance of information and everybody's sharing their work. And I think it's great from that standpoint. Um, but I was kind of an early adopter in, in, in that regard. But more importantly, like I, I started, um, I started working at coaching clinics and like, and coaching conventions and it started regionally with, you know, small Washington, Washington state high school coaches association and like coaching clinic. And there's 20 people there and like, and I, I just remember the preparation and I still say yes to those types of things today because I feel like it keeps me sharp and like forces mm-hmm. me to, to, to stand up on a stage, whether the audience is 25 people or, you know, I spoke at the American baseball coaches association in Anaheim in 2016. And there was I think 7,500 coaches there. And it felt like the Staples center <laughs> like, on this huge stage and like massive production and, um, but I, I had the same feeling speaking in front of 25 people. It's, it's like whenever you're on a stage and expected to be the quote unquote expert, like it's a scary place. And, um, but I feel like I've grown a lot, you know, not because I love public speaking by any means, but like to get up there, the process of like diving into something, um, you know, diving into whatever your subject matter is, um, and then having to deliver it to, to an audience or to, 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 a learner. Like I always leave those experiences, like knowing a lot more about whatever the subject matter was or realizing how much I don't know about a, a certain area. Um, you know, so that just that ability to be vulnerable, to put yourself out there, understanding that people are going to be critical. Like it's not going to be perfect, but I feel like I, personally, I've grown a lot from those experiences and and I continue to seek them out, even though I don't enjoy them. Um, but I feel like it, it, it helps me grow and continue to improve and get better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Come from a place of contribution. I love that. Uh, and you know, that it's that, and that's, that's kind of what this podcast is, is based on too, is, you know, share whatever information we can. And I don't have, you know, I don't have your experience, but I have the ability to share your experience with, with someone who might need to, might need to hear it. So, I'm all no, about it's the a collaboration. It's the
1: exact, it's the exact same thing. Like yeah. What you're doing, like, is is the is the exact experience that I'm describing. I think that's really helped me, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to put yourself out there. And sometimes we're gonna say stupid things, and
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> like, we're gonna be criticized for them. But you know, we'll, whatever. Like,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah. We we have a, a similar mindset as far as, uh, you know, we're we, we'll take some lumps along the way, but. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not satisfied with with just playing by the playing in this box, right? We, we, we want to go over there and over there. And, you know, if we get made fun of, then whatever. That's the price to pay to go do yeah. that. So, Tanner, it was awesome, man. So happy to have you on. Glad you're doing so well. I'm rooting for you for sure. I'll be uh, the first time ever in my life that I'll be rooting for the Yankees. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you get that big ring uh, at the end of the season. And uh, love you, man. Thanks for having you on.
1: Yeah,
0: thanks brother. Love you too, bro. Okay. All See right. you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe and please leave a comment. If you'd like your free copy of four ways to leverage your existing real estate business or to apply to join my team, go to the retired real
1: for your free growth pack.